Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for having me as a guest preacher again. Uh, if this is your first time at CCMA, I'm Jeff, and I have the wonderful privilege and pleasure of bringing you today's message. Uh, before we go any further, I do really want to thank the music team for the worship set just before. Um, I found it very encouraging and blessing uh, to sing of the goodness of God. Um, let's start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all the ways in which you've been good to us. We thank you for the goodness of church, being able to come together to worship you, to praise you, and to hear from you. And so as we spend this next bit of time hearing from you, open our hearts, help us to be humble and willing to listen, to be convicted by your spirit, and to be willing to obey and to follow you. So Father, we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I say community, what do you think of? For me, when I hear the word community, I think of a particular image. It's the little tight-knit towns during the olden days where everyone knows each other. People walk down the street and they say hi to everyone. They know everyone in the town. Maybe there is only one bakery and so every morning you have to go down to the baker to get your fresh loaf of bread. And this image is when the community is thriving, when everything is going well, when all is good. Because this kind of setting in media is often where you have something catastrophic happen, like a murder. And that's when the community starts to fall apart. People suspect each other. Fear runs rampant. Not to mention, if it's the baker that gets murdered, no one has access to bread anymore. And so this little tight-knit community is shaken. They're worried that maybe someone who lives among them, someone they thought they knew, is actually a murderer. But again, they have no bread. Now, that's just an image I have. I don't know how accurate it is. I've never lived in a place like that. Maybe if you come from a rural town out in the outback, you might know something similar, hopefully without the murder. But the majority of us are city folk that don't have this experience. But another form of community is the community in church. And as we'll read today, even though we may not rely on each other the same way as a tight-knit town, it's still important for us to consider how we act as a community. Because in the end, we're actually all in this together. So thank you, Shrikit, for doing the Bible reading. We are at the end of 2 Thessalonians. Not just 2 Thessalonians, but this series on both 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Over the last few weeks, uh, we've had the chance to listen to all the instructions that Paul's given. The instructions he's given to the Thessalonians, but also the way he's spoken to them. And as we've read this, it wouldn't be wrong to notice that there is a dynamic, a dynamic between Paul and the Thessalonians, a dynamic of authority. He's taught them. He's instructed them. And so, despite all this, as he gets to the end of the letter, what does Paul do? He asks for prayer. Let me read out verses 1 and 2 again. As for other matters, brothers and sisters... Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. 
And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. Paul's request for prayer is significant for at least two reasons. The first is what he asks prayer for. He asks that the Thessalonians to pray for the message of the Lord, that is the gospel, that it would be rapidly spread and be honored. And then he asks them to deliver him from wicked and evil people. Those who would interfere with the spreading of the gospel, who would get in the way of Paul. See, this request for prayer isn't just about Paul, but it's about the kingdom of God. It's about Paul's service to the Lord in reaching people with the news of Jesus Christ. And this is significant not just because it's the gospel, but because the Thessalonians were beneficiaries in this very mission. Paul says, just as it was with you. The Thessalonians had received the gospel and honored it. They heard Paul declare that Jesus was Christ, that Jesus brought salvation through his death and resurrection on the cross, that in him they will be cleansed of their sin and given reconciliation with God. But they believed this to be true. They took it to heart, and that resulted in them being a model for believers in all the region around them. Their faith was an example to other churches. And so Paul asked the Thessalonians, to pray that the same thing that's happened with them would happen elsewhere. He's involving them in mission. As Reverend Ken said, it's a natural progression of faith. You hear the gospel, you become a Christian, and you spread that gospel. And so this participation in spreading the gospel is a second reason why this prayer is significant. While spreading the gospel was something that the Thessalonians were to desire, Paul was involving them in his work. He asked for their support. He asked that they would pray and join in with him in, as he goes on his mission. It sends a message that Paul's missionary journey was not just something done by him, but that the Thessalonians were part of it as well. They had ownership, they were involved. And let's not forget, he has authority here. He was the one that planted this church. He led them. He taught them. And yet he says, come join me in the work I do. Join me by praying for me, by praying for this mission. There isn't a separation of Paul as just a leader to the Thessalonians and that he as a leader does all the work. He's the only one that spreads the gospel. They too are involved at the very least by praying for him and for praying for the gospel. And so with all this in mind at the start of this passage, I thought it would be good if we actually spent time in prayer. Rather than just praying for Paul, why not pray for the leaders here at CCMA? To pray for the mission of not just CCMA, but of the CMA. What happens at this church does not only happen because the leaders do it, but because everyone here is involved. Just because the leaders are often at the front of the work that is done here, it doesn't mean that they don't benefit from support, both practical support, but support in prayer. So right now, join me in prayer as we pray for the leaders and for CCMA. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church, for CCMA, 
for the fact that this is not just a church here in CCMA, but also a church that's part of the CMA, part of a movement, a group of churches, of your faithful people that want the news of Jesus to be spread, for all people to hear the gospel. We pray for every member here, not just every member here, but in all of CMA, that you would put on their hearts the desire for people to know Jesus. We specifically pray for the leaders at CCMA, for Elder Shrew Kit, for the deacons. We pray for your wisdom and your hand to be on them as they are faithful to your calling, as they're faithful to the mission that you've placed on their heart, as they steward your people that you've placed in their care. We pray not just for these leaders of deacons and elders, but leaders in different ministries, whether they're Sunday school teachers, youth group leaders, small group leaders, whoever it is, we pray for them as well. We ask for your hand on them and your guidance, that you would protect them as they are faithful to you. We also think of Pastor, Pastor Joshua as he goes through this application, as this process of coming to Adelaide to be the pastor here. We pray for your hand over that, for your guidance in his life, and for the church leaders here as well. Father, we commit these people into your hands, knowing that you protect them, you guide them, and you lead them, and that we, as your people, support them, that we want to be praying for them, trusting in your work and what you do through them. Father, we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to be clear. I'm not telling you to only support this church and your leaders in prayer. As much as you should be supporting them in prayer, don't forget to actually do things and help out the church. Sign up to be involved in, in ministries. Volunteer to serve. Put your hand up to help out with a food fair. I hear there's 12 stalls, but maybe there's other areas that you can help out in. Speak to Anita. The point is, support your leaders both in prayer and practically. But in the end, I want to encourage you to be continually praying for your leaders, to be continually praying for the church. Commit to it. Commit to regularly praying for your leaders. Make it a part of your daily, weekly, whatever schedule you have for prayer. Remember to always be praying for your elders, for your deacons, for your ministry leaders. Lift them up to the Lord. Ask for his hand on them. Pray for the work that CCMA is doing. Do that as part of your routine. Commit to praying for your leaders and your church. Paul asked that, so why not do that? The next thing I want to focus on is in verses 6 to 15. It's really the majority of this, of this passage. Let me read it out again. Verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. 
The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. This section is not exactly the most encouraging. It's dealing with people who are idle and disruptive. And the thing is, this isn't the first time this has been brought up. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul already tells the Thessalonians to warn those who are idle and disruptive. And yet now he's addressing these same people again. It's likely that the first time, the first warning wasn't enough, and so he brings it up again. And there's a couple of things to note in how Paul handles this. The first is to note who the people in question are. Paul says they are believers who are idle and disruptive. And don't miss this part. They do not live according to the teaching they received from Paul. These people are believers who are part of the church community. Yet, they've intentionally decided to not pull their weight. They're not just being idle, but they're being disruptive. And they're deliberately disobedient. They're rejecting Paul's teachings and his example. And so the result of this behavior is this instruction to not associate with them, to keep away from them. It's, it sounds harsh. But at the same time, let's not forget what Paul says in verse 15. Do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. This instruction to not associate so that they would feel shame is not done to punish or to demean. Rather, it's to lead these believers to repentance. Their brothers and sisters in Christ warn them as so. Treat them in a way that they would repent and be restored, that they would stop being idle and disruptive and disobedient, but be obedient to contribute, to play their part in the community of the church. And I want to clarify, Paul in Galatians says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. It's to be done with gentleness and love. That's how we handle these things. We're to be gentle with our brothers and sisters, our fellow believers. Now, at this point, it would be a natural progression to now think about addressing believers who are idle, disruptive, and disobedient. While that is something that may happen, I actually want to focus on the positive. Because that's how Paul spends the majority of his time handling this matter. In verses 7 to 10, he focuses on his time at Thessalonica, the way he acted, the example he set. He encourages the Thessalonians to follow his example, to do what is commanded. And that's what he says in verse 4. He has confidence that they are doing and will continue to do the things he commanded. 
And so that's where I want to spend the rest of the time today, considering how we are to act and how, not how we are to not act. To consider how we can be part of this community and not be idle. And it starts with being obedient. That's what Paul says. That's what he addresses, obedience. But not just to Paul, but to scriptures. Reading and studying the word. That you would know it and live that out. Being obedient. How can you be obedient from 1 and 2 Thessalonians? What in the last couple of weeks has the Holy Spirit convicted you of? What have you heard in the sermons that you know you need to change, that you know that you want to do? Something that maybe you've yet to respond in, either because you haven't gotten around to it or because you've forgotten. As we come to the end of 2 Thessalonians, take this as a chance to revisit the word, to revisit the past sermons. All of the sermons are online. You can go back and listen to them again. Find the applications, find the things that you are to do that you haven't done yet. Spend time in prayer asking God to help you be obedient. And of course, get involved. Get involved in church. Of course, you can do that by praying, as we talked about earlier, but get practically involved. Don't just turn up, don't just turn up on a Sunday. Find ways to serve. Seek out ministries that need help. Seek out ministries that don't need help. Areas that could benefit from an extra hand, even if they're not desperate. Commit to other parts of church life, like the monthly prayer meetings. Come once a month on Wednesday night. Come pray with your brothers and sisters. Commit to the Bible studies that are about to start again on Friday night. Come be in the word. Come be in the word that you would learn what it says and be obedient. There are just other ways. These are just other ways in which you can get involved. And the last thing I wanted to highlight is actively working towards the mission of this church. Not just this church, but of the CMA. The spread of the gospel. Be involved in that. Consider how you can be supporting that. Consider what in your life you can be doing to be spreading the gospel. But also consider the vision statement for this year. It's living a transformed life with genuine love for Jesus and his people. What would it look like to do that? What would it look like to do that as someone that's plugged into this community? I'm not just talking about the activities that occur. But what about your life can you do that would reflect this vision? What if you made time to gather with your fellow brothers and sisters once a week outside of church, share a meal, catch up after a run, but when you catch up, to encourage each other? To encourage each other in your faith follow up on the previous Bible study. See how everyone's going with that. Chat about the last Sunday sermon. Encourage each other in ways to live out what you've been convicted of. Ask each other how God has been working in your life, 
how he's been growing you. And of course, pray for each other. Make this intentional time with each other. Time that isn't structured and asked of you from the church. Something that you want to do in your own time. Meet on a Saturday morning. Meet on a Thursday night. Meet when you can. But gather together. Gather together that you would encourage each other and live out a transformed life with genuine love for Jesus and his people. So we're all in this together. It is fitting for the end of Thessalonians. Throughout both letters, Paul has written so much and instructed so much to his readers. And so I hope that as you've listened to these sermons, as you've worked through 1 and 2 Thessalonians, you've been grown. You've been convicted of things you need to do, encouraged by things you want to do. And then as you grow in this way, you're growing in the community of CCMA. Just as Paul relied on the Thessalonians for prayer, support each other in prayer. Support your leaders, support the church. But also practically support each other. Practically get involved. And live out a life that contributes to this community. I want to finish by reading the last few verses of 2 Thessalonians again. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Paul to the church in Thessalonica. We thank you for the way he's instructed and taught and encouraged his readers and that we now can benefit from that too. Lord, soften our hearts that we can be convicted of things we are to do, ways in which we can live as part of this community in a way that benefits this community, a way that honors you and praises you. Help us to support our leaders, to support this church and to support each other. Help us live transformed lives that declare the gospel, that declare what Jesus has done. Father, we thank you and we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.